everyone. This is Katherine Yeager, and welcome to Inspired Teams, where we're curious about human-centered organizations. You may already be familiar with Ron Cortell through his social media posts and speaking engagements about Teal, software development, and Agile. I was drawn to his thought leadership on Medium and was so thrilled to be on the Semco-style journey with him, where our friendship cemented. Ron shares how he developed Fast Agile, that's fluid scaling technology, with its roots in open space and open allocation, where people form a marketplace around the work with trust, natural leadership, and a law of mobility. He successfully ran a fast experiment for two years at a healthcare insurance company, and he talks about the events that ultimately led to the team no longer using it. I love how he invites us to start experiments with 10% time and hackathons, and how T-shaped colleagues grow through the give and take of both mentoring and coaching. His roots are in extreme programming, similar to Menlo Innovation's Richard Sheridan, the author of Joy, Inc. and Chief Joy Officer. Ron has suggestions for how Menlo Innovations can modernize their pair programming model to incorporate more freedom. I invite you to sit back and hopefully be inspired by Ron and his insights. Hey, okay. hi, Ron. How are you? Good. Thanks, Catherine. So great to have you here. Yeah. Tell me about a little bit about your working with Agile and your thoughts on that as it's evolved. Mm, okay. Um, so, yeah, you, you hit on my my techie background. So I, I my career has been started in software development. I'm a software developer. I still am at heart. I still get the right code sometimes. Um, and so in 2002, um, my, uh, I was with a small team in England, and we, we started doing extreme programming, mm-hmm. which was uh, – we were really early adopters of, of um, Agile, and that's, that's what Agile looked like back in the day. And I hated it. It was the dumbest thing I've heard of. But luckily, I stuck it out. And then <laughs> after six months, I went, okay, this makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for the business. It makes my life a whole lot better for many reasons and it makes my life richer and we're producing way better code and, you know, delivering more often. So I, I got it, fell in love with it. And that was my um, introduction to Agile. Uh, so then um, I'm fast forward, I became a dev manager through the same company and then I moved to the US um, and I started with, you know, I wanted to try something else. So I started with um, consulting firm and they said, Hey, do you, do you know um, Agile? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then, like, we, you know, we do Agile contracts, uh, software contracts, um, and consulting, like where we we help clients. So I thought, oh, this would be interesting. I'll do that to kind of expand myself a little and, you know, try something different. So I ended up doing Agile. That was kind of my introduction to being an Agile coach, you know, helping other companies. Um, and I was pretty horrified to see what was going on. It, you know, because I I knew Agile and I knew how well it worked. And then you go to companies and they're like, hey, you know, we need to do these things. And they're like, well, we don't want to do that. I'm like, but you said you wanted to be Agile. They're like, well, we do, but we don't want to do those things. And they, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of that. And and so Agile Agile the Agile that I I, I fell in love with was kind of very different to to the Agile that I saw. Um, so during this time, Agile, uh, I started 
speaking at, at conferences and agile at scale was, was the hot topic. Um, and I, I was watching what was happening in agile at scale because I, I was very familiar and comfortable with, with agile um, at the team level. So I could teach teams Scrum and extreme programming um, really well. And uh, Agile at Scale was a very different beast. Um, Agile at Scale is essentially, if, if my product or project is so big that I need more than one team working on it, you've hit scaling straight away. Because the question is, how do I cut the work across two teams? Mm-hmm. And how do I keep those teams synchronized? So that's a scaling issue. And that's just uh, two teams. And, you know, you get to 10, 20 teams um, and whatever. So Agile at Scale was the hot topic. Because when Agile was born, it was never uh, that was never designed into it. It was only ever designed to work at the team level. But so now the industry was looking for an answer to that problem. I didn't like what I was seeing, and I didn't know why. But I thought, well, you know, I'm going to assume they're smarter people than me. I'm going to let them work it out, and when the dust settles, then I'll get involved and see what's, you know, who. <laughs> What what's bubbled up and and right. you know maybe I'll get involved then. So that was kind of my my opinion around agile at scale. Um, so I'm at I'm at a conference in 2014 in New Orleans, and day three of the conference it was it was uh, two days of traditional format, and then the last day was an open space format. Mm. And open space is going to play a big part in 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 the story today. Yes. And, and we've got some good st- stories to share about yeah, that coming love up. That. Love open and space. so you'll be able to relate re- relate to this now because so I was familiar with open space through um, I'd been to open space conferences here in in Seattle where I live. Um, they have a, an annual event called Agile Open Northwest. So I'd been to that several times and I'd, I was familiar with with how open space worked. Um. And we'll circle back to open space because it really does require understanding open space to, to kind of get a grasp of where I'm going. But they, so day two, two first two days are conventional uh, conference. Day three is unconference or, or open space. And so I was at this open space event with no energy because I burnt myself out in the previous two days. And I'm sitting in this event kind of going, right, I'm just going to be a butterfly. I don't know if you heard that. uh, Yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm going to be a butterfly. I'm not going to host any sessions or facilitate any sessions. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to recharge. I need to recharge. I don't don't need to give. And you can do that in open space event. So in that, I think maybe because I was in that space, I was just sitting there and watching the event, 600 people, we just populated the marketplace. We've got a one-day event, and and I was looking at the wall, and I thought, you know, this is remarkable. In 20 minutes, 600 people have just self-organized a one-day event. Wow. Yeah, right. Wow. And I wow. mean, 600 people. Like, when do you ever see 600 people self-organize that quickly and that effectively? And it just struck me the beauty of open space that it it has that ability to do that. And I thought, this is how we should be solving the Agile at Scale problem. Mm-hmm. Why don't we use open space? Right. And, and, and so here I was with no energy, jumping out of my chair like, I've got a session. Why don't we use open space? And, and I, that was my, my very first flash of an idea. And I shared it with a group of people and, and the passion was there. I couldn't get let, let go of that idea. I kept dwelling on it and dwelling on it. So the, the year later... I now present that idea at a conference um, 
in Utah, which was the birthplace of Agile. Uh, in fact, the conference was called Agile Roots because it's in the, in the very birthplace um, of Agile in Utah. And uh, presented it there, and I called it um, Fast Agile because it stands for Fluid Scaling Technology. It used to stand for Fluid Agile Scaling Technology, but I've, I've since ripped the word Agile out. It's just Fluid Scaling Technology now, right? Yeah, we um, can talk about the Agile word. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, you're right, because it's kind of gone through. Well, anyway, um, so I presented it there, and someone came up to me after and said, you know, we, I wish I'd heard of this before because this is amazing. We've just done a safe transformation, which is a, another Agile Scaling thing, and it was a nightmare what you're doing here makes total sense. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll fast forward. Uh, yeah, presented at 2015, and someone said, hey, you know what you've created here is a complex adaptive system, which was new words to me. I'm like, it is? So then I, I learned about complexity science and, and chaos theory, and it opened my eyes to a whole whole world. So all of the, the beauty that's inside FAST actually comes from open space, which is nothing I've, I've invented. So I'm just building something on something else. Yeah, um, and then in 2016, I, I was at a, a health insurance company here in Washington, and we got to do an experiment because we had a, 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 a scaling issue. And I said, hey, why don't we try this crazy idea I've got and create a marketplace of work where people can just sign up for work. As long as everything gets done, who cares who does it? And we can have dynamic team formation. Um, and uh, so in, in open space, so Catherine, I'm glad you've seen it. This idea of open space, people form around an idea or, or a topic that they're interested in. And so I use that same thing. Well, why don't we just form around work? So this thing needs to get done. And so, People that are interested in that will form around it, and so using those same concepts. Uh, and they they said yes, let's give it a go, and we could easily roll back to Scrum. I knew I knew Scrum backwards, upside down. So with that, we said we can easily roll back. Let's run an experiment, and and it ended up running for two years, and wow. that that was that evolved and became uh, a, 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 its own method and framework. Yeah. Wow, that it's so impressive that you were able to do a little experiment that expanded into a two-year initiative. Who did you work with in the company to really give the okay for this? How did that? What was what's the genesis of that? That's a really important question because looking back on the successes and failures of of that experiment, um, that was a big part of the question because this was inside a very um, so Gwen, this the, this experiment was inside a highly regulated company. It was an insurance company, uh, health insurance company. So we had a lot. It was very tra highly traditional, highly regulated um, company. And the the director that I was reporting to, um, he was he was kind of branching off into some new services that the company hadn't done before. And he wanted to, he said, look, I want to run this like a, a skunk works, like a startup. So he was purposefully wanted that kind of environment, but still, you know, conform to all the, the regulations we had to and so forth. Um, but we had a lot of autonomy and protection from the rest of the, the mm. rest of the company. And I think that was a big part of the success. Mm. So the, the director and then the CTO um, above the director uh, also gave us that autonomy. 
And, and with that, I call it a bubble, with that bubble inside the organization, we were able to exist and flourish within that bubble. Later on, towards the end of the experiment, that bubble came under pressure and popped. And that was part of the failure of the experiment later on. But it's important to know why, why it failed too, because if you want to do this experiment yourself, you need to know yeah. what not to, knowing what not to do is as important knowing what to do. Right. Know? So that's cool. So you had the protection. Um, as I always say, the hostess sets the tone for the party. So the CTO and the director said, like, go for it and kind of, you know, gave you that space. Mm-hmm. And for, for a two-year run, that's pretty a pretty long time, I think, and, and kind of in my experience. So what, what burst it? What happened? There were, there were three things um, in hindsight, you know, because I had to look back. Um, that one, the, the CTO left. Mm. Um, so he left. So we lost that protection. Um, two is that the director uh, was granted more money to bring on more headcount and brought in a, a bunch of uh, middle managers. And these middle managers were, yeah, were very traditional middle managers that, that weren't happy with a lot of the, the, the things we're doing. So essentially we were, oh. we were essentially self-managed, mostly self-managed, right? So right. amongst few managers for 60 people, you know, that changed to a, a ratio of one to eight of, of uh, people to management. And these middle managers, um, they 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 were not compatible with the system. So they created a lot of command and control that didn't need, need to be there. So that was the second factor. And then the third one was while we were building the tribe, so in FAST we call the, the larger group the tribe. So there's teams, the, the, the collection of teams is a tribe, and we picked that word on purpose. So the while we were able to cherry pick people for the tribe, we're saying, yeah, this is how we work. Are you happy with this? Yes, that we feel compatible. They, they will get work well. And so they came in and, and the tribe flourished. But we were sunsetting one of the products inside the company that there was a, a team inside the traditional company that their product was going to get sunsetted. So we were told to absorb that team. So mm. they were now forced into us and they weren't happy with working this way. They wanted to work their old, very traditional way. And they ca- created a lot of uh, tension and stress as well. So the combination of those three things uh, made it, uh, you know, the cracks started forming, getting worse and worse. And, and when I realized I didn't have, you know, I'd lost my ability to influence. Um, and it was just an uphill battle. It wasn't any fun anymore. I'm, I said, okay, I'm, right. I'm done. Yeah. Right. Uh, what a shame. Those three things are the things that we hear time and time again about why things are successful, but why they fail, right? You need, mm. you need that top leadership. As I say, the hostess sets the tone for the party and mm. can manage that and kind of and set, not, not manage, but allow things to happen and thrive, right? right? The, protect um, the bubble, yeah. Protect the bubble. With, when, mm. If you're within an organization, right, assuming it's not the CEO, mm-hmm. and um, bringing in those additional people, again, that whole notion of onboarding and how you really need to hire for this. And when yep. you don't have the flexibility to do that, it's too difficult. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's at a uh, civil engineering company, and he says, you know, they hire very carefully for 
of their culture. And he's like, it takes two years to bring somebody in and really get the sense of what's going on and yeah. really feel that. And so if you have people there that don't want to be there, then mm. that's, well, there goes the bubble. Yeah. What a magnificent experiment. I'm really excited about the word experiment because mm. when I was at my recent unconference mm. open space, um, I talked about getting rid of the status quo by running some experiments. Mm. One of the things that came up from the group was that the word experiment is not used. He's like, nobody uses the word experiment. No wonder it's yeah. not happening. The language sets the tone, influences the culture. Running experiments is really important to fast. When you talk about it to people who maybe are learning this, how are they responding to running an experiment? Yeah, there. That's a like you said. It's it's not language that companies usually use. Mm -hmm. The only the only time I hear those words are the people that get it are like modern product management people mm. that think like startups. Like they're like, you know, what are our assumptions? How do we test our assumptions? Um, you know, what rapid feedback can we do to test our assumptions? And that's language that has now come into modern product management. So Peter, people like um, Hagen, um, who wrote the book. Inspire. Inspired, right. Yes. So the, yeah, the product. Mary Kagan. Right, right. Marty Kagan, that's right. So the product, um, modern product management is really getting it. And and as does startups. Um, what was the startup book? Lean Startup. Lean, lean Startup. Right, which right. is about, you know, testing your assumptions, um, um, so that lean startup is like, hey, treat your business like a giant experiment, right. um, and you know, work out when the experiment is failing. Look at the data and decide is it time to pivot. You know, um, you know what have we learned? Like this continual learning cycle. So that's where you do get the words, and it's starting to creep into to organizations mm. now. But yeah, the whole the whole process side of it isn't like that. So someone invented Scrum twenty years ago. It's old, right? Yes. And now people read books and they hear about Agile and they go, we have to do Agile, here it is. And you're like, okay, well, this is, that's okay. Like, uh, by all means, take a book and, and do it, but then do it with the feeling of, um, you know, Scrum talks about inspect and adapt and continuous improvement, which means we're supposed to be experimenting. Mm. We're supposed to be doing that, but we're just not. Like, mm. <laughs> I didn't see a lot of it. We don't experiment on our own processes and our own companies and our own assumptions. And that was that was how like fast emerged because we said, I said, look, I don't make the rules here. This is now your process. And so we created a, a, a we called it the fast guild because people would say, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And I said, we can do anything we want and bring your idea to the fast guild. Cause then we had to, we had to work out how do we decide as a group? Because you got an idea, I got an idea. Well, which one do we do? Which don't we do? Right. So we had to. Uh, this so this was my introduction to self management, mm. and 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 this is how I learned about Teal was through Fast. I didn't know I'd created a Teal framework, but I had. I love and, that. And that was my introduction to, to Teal because all of these these kind of issues and challenges I was facing, I went, oh, okay, this is a self managed environment I've created. We've shot past self-organization due to self-management and Teal has already answered or they have a whole tool set available to us. Mm. And so I started borrowing from there and went, wow, this is a Teal framework. 
I thought I was creating an agile framework, but it's a teal framework. Right. Just as much. Yeah. To experiment, mm -hmm. you need a team that knows how to work together, where yeah. there's an element of trust with one another, where there is psychological safety. I mean, some people think that's a way overused word, but at the same time, there is an element there that I feel safe to bring something up or to ask a question or whatever. So how did you develop that within um, this assignment that you had? Yeah. Um... Or was the team kind of already formed enough that you could introduce the fast aspect, but the trust was already there. I'm just kind of, I'm curious about how, what the overlap is there. Well, um, I want, I want you to cast your mind back to um, the, the recent open space you went to mm -hmm. and was there trust there? So you, you would show up to an event, not knowing anyone. Right. Right. Didn't know and anyone. you didn't know anyone. And, and so you went with a certain assumption of like, you know, you went with some hesitancy and, and like, I don't know what's going to happen. But then you'd very quickly read the group that was there and determine, yes, it's safe for me or no, it isn't. You know, that person is really being overbearing. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the law of two feet or the law of mobility is now called. I'm going to go to this other place. So, uh, so people that are in, in that environment that do not know how to create, uh, create trust very soon find that they have no leadership ability either. Mm. So you, right. So this yeah. is where nat natural leadership happens in, in a tribe um, is where natural. And this is one of the beauties of, of, of fast and open space is it enables natural leadership to flourish. So if Catherine, um, has natural leadership, she will be facilitating lots of sessions. If Catherine wants to become a better leader, you can challenge yourself to say, hey, I'm nervous to do this. And you can get up and say, hey, I'm kind of nervous. This is my first time. And I don't know if you did this, but as soon as you do that, other people say they show up and they help you. And they're like, hey, we're here to help you. And so you can start um, um, working this leadership muscle. And so trust uh, the law of two feet is something that that um, brings about trust because you soon find out how many people listen to you, how many people like you, um, and what your ability to influence is. So those are kind of tightly linked with trust. Um, if and imagine if you're at your at your workplace, if you go like, I don't I don't feel psychological safety here. I'm going to go. I'm going to find another team. Right. Right. Yeah, and right. that's essentially what 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 happens. So, um, and in, in like, so in fast agile, if you start spotting that there's people that just aren't getting it and they're not comfortable, then there's a conversation of like, Hey, would you rather work in another environment? Let's help you off board. Mm. Um, because yeah. it's, it's not, everyone's ready to work this way. Um, and which, yeah. which breaks my, my heart and it started me on my, what I call my life's purpose now is to untether the human spirit in the workplace. Because what I thought would happen when you open the, the prison gates is that the prisoners would want to come out. But um, Shawshank Redemption, you know, the prisoners get out and they go, actually, I felt safer in prison. You know, I knew when I was going to get fed. I knew where I was in the pecking order. So some people crave that and they're not ready to, right. to, to go to this next level, um, which, which is really sad. But I think once you get to that next level, 
trust is implicit. And this is interesting that there's two theories on, on trust. One is trust is implicit or trust is earned. And in, in high-functioning environments, and talking about psychological safety, the people that are really good at that will tell you trust, trust is uh, implicit. So when I meet Catherine for the first time, I will trust you until you betray that trust. Mm. Versus the, uh, the other style, which are the people that are stuck in the prison, they will meet you and they go, I'm not going to trust you until you prove yourself trustworthy. And that's a very different approach. So trust is a very, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? And how, um, yeah, yeah where, where it fits in and how, because you have to have it for psychological safety. You have to have it for self-organization. Right. And you've got to find people that are compatible with trust is implicit versus earned. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's super fascinating. And, you know, one of the things, just from that one experience, uh, thinking about that experience that I had recently it was, uh, there was a lot of modeling. And I think that yeah. is so important too. So I was really grateful that, you know, I called you a couple of days before yeah. I went. And I'm like, and you kind of gave me the lowdown. I'm like, what do I expect? What do I do? Should I call somebody ahead of time? Like whatever. And you're like, please chill out. It is going to be <laughs> as it's meant to be. And I just yeah. so appreciated that counsel because it really did make me just relax and um, not be nervous and yet kind of go in with curiosity to see you know really like what's going to happen like it could go left or right or whatever and it's it was like the right thing to do kind of whatever I felt and I think that gave me a lot of confidence going in and then um, as um, I think her name is also Kathy kind of kicked off the day she reiter she reiterated those rules. I was not mm -hmm. the only one who's this was the first time. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think again, for everyone who does this, even if you've done it a million times, it just doesn't hurt to hear the rules again, the guidelines. Right. Mm -hmm. And because it sets the tone and it makes such a huge difference. Whereas, you know, I think um, team agreements are really important and to reiterate mm -hmm. them and to revise them. And as you have new people come onto the team to review them again, to get that buy-in, but just to remind everybody like, hey, mm -hmm. this, is, this is who we are and this is how we operate here. And then as you watch other people doing that, it becomes natural for you to do it as well. So yeah. super interesting. And it's amazing, isn't it amazing how just a handful of rules, of simple rules, can create this complex environment? And there's an association with simple rules and complexity. And so yes. you saw it firsthand. Like how many rules was there? Like four four rules and one law or three rules and one law? I, I, I would I could count them, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's one on one hand right? and that's it. And so with right. that simplicity, you, you gain this complex environment, which, uh, which allows for emergence yes. to happen. And yeah. that, and that, I think that's the rule of, of the rule is the rule is keep the rules light. So when we, when we talk about team agreements, oh. don't like, cause you are a self-governing body now. So we have to decide, hey, how do we make decisions? Well, okay, these types of decisions we will do as a majority. Mm -hmm. These types of decisions require – so you, you can hear how it goes into, you know, government kind of talk. It is self-governance. But, right. but, the, but the rule is don't go down the rabbit hole of, of coming up with governance that's insanely heavy. And don't make rules for the outliers, right? 
So one person cheats on their expenses. That's not the time to make the rule for expenses. That's the, that's the one time to talk to that person about their behavior, right? Where right. Versus, you know, the large company, oh, we've had this happen. We have to make sure this never happens again. It's like, right. don't govern to the minority, right? That's, yeah. yeah. So because otherwise your rules just get insane, right? Absolutely. So, um, you know, as you know, at Morningstar, Doug Kirkpatrick tells us about the two guidelines that they have, right? Do no harm. And keep your agreements and your keep your commitments, keep your agreements. And I that has rattled around in my brain so many times over the past couple of years as I first heard this. And it is so true. Just those two things and everything else falls out from that. That's beautiful. That's yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Simple, Super simple amazing. rules. Yeah. Simple. You know, I'd love to come back um, talking about fast agile and there's a whole rabbit hole to go down if we want to kind of say like where agile is not working and that sort of thing, which I think for our conversation today, I'd rather just kind of avoid that rabbit hole. But what I'm really excited about is, um, is, is understanding how it is organized around the work. Uh, Cause that's something too, that Susan Basterfield has really promoted like organize around the work. And how you have um, T-shaped people, kind of how the power is fluid kind Mm. of with the projects. And I'd love to have you talk about that. Mm. Yeah, I was. thanks for mentioning Susan Bessefield. I wasn't wasn't aware that that was part of what she was saying. Um, And and I know we spoke previously about, there's an example, because you asked, hey, does does fast work outside of software? And my Mm -hmm. answer is, in theory, yes. In practicality, I don't know because I've only ever used it in software because that's my world and that's right. who I interact with. In theory, yes. And I remember watching a video of a community bond building and I went, that's fast agile. That That's fast agile right there. They could have easily, um, it's a little more structured than, than they had, but you could totally do a community bond building using fast agile where you saw images of kids sweeping the floor and and um you saw like people walking along and and, you know carrying things together and i'm going to use the example of um everyone shows up at the beginning of the day that is needed for that day you don't try and plan and schedule hey we're going to need the guttering person at this time the guttering person is there at the beginning of the day so guttering person can't do his guttering or her, her guttering i shouldn't be Making a suggest, right? <laughs> They're guttering until until the roof is on, right? Until the walls are up. And the roof. So there's a certain amount of things that need to happen before that gutter goes up. So if you're the guttering person, and that's why you showed up, because hey, we need some someone that knows this. And, and so guttering person shows up. Are you? What are you going to do until until that is ready? It's a community bond building. You you're going to say, hey, how can I help out? And right. And the carpenters will say, well, we could do with some help. Here, help carry this over here. When I, you know, hold this here while I bang, or I don't know what they do. But this is becoming what we call being T-shaped individual. And so by everyone being T-shaped, the work gets done. And and, which is very different. So then you can watch a, a, a film of barn building by a professional company. And, you know, this professional shows up and they bring this tool and then someone else shows up and, 
and that's that's okay and you get a very professional result and and you pay for it um and it requires a lot of scheduling um ahead of time and if something goes wrong that schedule goes wrong versus the other way of uh adaption hey we're all here everyone's here um we're going to ha- have a loose plan and emerge and adapt as we go through it and all be t-shaped and hey lo and behold the the bond goes up in in uh as short a time with uh usually a lot cheaper too so because we're saying as i like to say like i can take average developers and and produce really good software mm. as you know the google mode and, and microsoft and these big companies which cherry pick the cream of the crop right uh, and i say you can have the cream of the crop i'll take the i'll take the average guys because with there's a there's a you know a median uh, bell curve right? right so most people are average i'm an average developer i'll put my hand up right. i'm average right So we've got to find out ways of how, how do we get average developers to produce great results and and this is how we do it by you know um being T-shaped and everyone helping out. And so help me uh, understand that better. So in with this I I'm you know an average developer by working with a, on a more of a variety of projects mm-hmm. um by the the need to spin up on a tool that I kind of know but not really it kind of I can spin up on that and I can increase the breadth that I have and I guess there would be somebody on the team that does know more than I do and that through them I get kind of that one-on-one mentoring which is what right. you really need because that person can then say try this or do this or why did you do this and in that sense my boat will float higher is that what's yes. going on right so uh one of the rules of 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 um one well, of the core values of fast agile is to be a coach and be coachable at all times mm-hmm. because you're constantly between them so uh i will have specialty like there is things that i'm really good at so when i say i'm not you know i'm not the super duper developer that doesn't mean there isn't things that i'm really really good at and so something will come around that that uh that matches my skill set that I'm passionate about at the open space like event I will say I'm going to work on that one all right I'm going to go put my name on that or I'm going to say hey I'm going to lead that team and I'm going to work on that now um the people that show up the my job as soon as I see that there's people that know less than me about it my job isn't to do that job my job is to coach them on how to do that job mm. because I'm continually offloading my knowledge and coaching other people up and if everyone does that everyone starts coming up together now if there's an emergency and that thing needs to get done really quick that's not the time to be coaching right i'd say right. hey sorry this this has got to get done in 12 minutes sit here and watch me ask me questions later then i'll grab the keyboard and bang 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 i'll bang it out and go hey this thing's done and then we can say then we can go back to coaching mode so there but if it's not an emergency then my primary role is to be a coach and to say hey let me show you how xslt parsing works right because mm-hmm. i'm really good at it i want you to be good at it and then so everyone's going to come up and you're going to find your your natural abilities and everyone finds things that they're they're naturally good at like there's some things that i'm good at probably because i like them more like i don't like front end work don't like it 
<laughs> but sometimes, you know, there's some front end work that needs to happen. And uh, luckily, I paired long enough with some front end people that I know how it works. And I can probably stumble my way through. It won't be great. But then when they come back, they can fix it up. But right. it'll get done, right? Right. So that's, yeah, uh, wow. that's kind of how it works. The word adoption is coming up. How do we ad- push this out mm. into the marketplace more And there's two big things. One is just the unconference concept, open space, which as I've talked to different people, they think I'm crazy, that I love it and that it works, right? So there's kind of that that needs to get over with. As we talked earlier, the whole notion of experiments. And as I was thinking about that word, senior management doesn't like that word. They want certainty. They want to know that it's done. They want... They want something defined and all of those, mm-hmm. all of those things, which they think they can manage through command and control. What suggestions do you have to introduce both of those concepts of open space and experimentation to really allow these teams and the projects to thrive? Mm. Yeah, great question. And I think that the, because you're talking about, you know, I think FAST is a little ahead of its time somewhat in that it, it's new and somewhat unproven, right? So we, you know, I've done this experiment and we had these results and we know where the experiment failed. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, what don't I know that I didn't know, right? Because were there other factors at work that made that work? And, yeah. and so there is, an, there is an element of risk in, in trying fast. And so companies don't like risk, right? Right. Startups understand risk. And so I think it's going to be more likely appealing to companies that are used to risk and and are used to experimentation. So I can see Marty Kagan looking at at Fast and going, yeah, this totally makes sense mm. because this would really. And I think I think that um, and I'm I'm kind of aiming the message at the product people because Agile when Agile was developed, it was there. It was developed to solve a problem that we had 20 years ago which was we weren't able to deliver software. Right. We're now getting better at that, right? We can right. now push software out. Right. We now we now suck at other things, right? Right. And one of them is that the product people are saying scrum and and these other things don't really service that well. Mm. So I'm hoping that product people go, "Oh, this this is going to help us so well because fast can switch between delivery and discovery really well." And mm. because because we don't work on iterations, it works on kind of more micro cycles, um, that they're going to see the benefit of having dynamic teams and being able to switch things very quickly and going, hey, I now need more effort there and less here, you know, that we can move people around very quickly. Um, I think it'll make a lot of sense to people that are used to thinking of experiments and going, yeah, why don't we experiment with our process and we're used to risk and, you know, understanding risk. Right. This this makes a lot of sense. I think the other thing in startup land is that you do this. Individuals are self-selected. So I've worked in startups. I've worked in fortune 50 companies and I definitely feel there's, you fit into one or the other. Mm -hmm. Few people go back and forth. And I remember being, um, being at a startup recently and there were some people that were from a big company and they they're kind of lost they need a little more structure 
-hmm. whereas the startup people are like give it to me and right. they're um they i mean every day is a freaking i mean every day is a freaking experiment yeah um, because you just exciting. don't know it is exciting you don't know what's coming at you and so you it's, really have that ability and you really want to get things done yeah i just want to shaped yeah you understand emergence, you know, right. you're, you're a jack of all trade. You're like, yeah. hey, how can I help? What needs doing? Um, right. Yeah. And that feeling. So Fast Angel is like a, is, is much more, it's like a startup feel to it. It's yes. like, hey, hey, there's everything that needs doing. Go. Yes. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and there are com big companies like W.L. Gore who can do it at a yes. at scale. Yeah. Or, you know, hire. I'm just valve, always valve. Hire. So, yeah. So fascinated with them on how, um, as a big organization, you can do it. But I think you can do it. Right. They have they have the hostess that sets the tone for the party. And you had mentioned too about hackathons. What yeah. were you saying about how a hackathon might fit into this? Yes. So when a traditional company asks me about it, so it's usually it's usually like a, an agile coach or a scrum master will read about fast and go, "Hey, this sounds really cool." How do I introduce it to my company, which is risk averse already, and they want certainty? Mm -hmm. So how do I introduce it? And and so my suggestion is, and and I've yet to do this, but like because I didn't have to think about how to introduce it because it just kind of emerged when we did it. So I had to think a lot, pretty hard about. Well, I don't know. Uh, let's see. And I came up with, well, why don't you facilitate a hackathon using Fast? And don't tell people that you're using Fast. Just just have a hackathon, mm -hmm. and because Fast is it, the idea of Fast is very similar to a hackathon. So let's think of a hackathon. Your classic hackathon is I'm a software developer. I'll see something advertised somewhere. Hey, show up this weekend at this place, and you'll be part of a hackathon. And the winner is going to win this prize. You know, you get to work for know, whatever the prize is. Um, and so I, I'm a developer or a designer or something you know because some skills i i turn up for this weekend there's a room full of people i don't know and then some people are going to get up on the stage and go oh here's the idea i've got it's this one someone else goes here's my idea so five six people get up now i'm in the crowd and i'm like well i think that one's interesting to me or i think that one's going to win so I'm going to go there or I've got the most skills that, you know, that, that person said they need these skills. I've got those skills. So I'm going to go there or uh, I'm, I know Paige really well. I'm going to go wherever Paige goes because I like working with Paige. So there's different reasons you pick who to go to, but right. you're going to pick someone and then you show up and then you find out who your team is, a bunch of people you don't know. And then you very quickly work out how you're going to work together. And then for two days, you bang out, products and code and whatever you might go talk to customers and whatever and then at the end of today's uh, a representative from your team gets up shows it to to the crowd and you know there may be a winner announced or whatever but essentially what's happened is self-organization has happened right. you know group of people that don't know each other have got together you've got natural leadership um self-selection uh, the law of two feet, all of the things that are in open that you're familiar with open space and and fast is already happening in in this event. So we'll we'll do a, a lot of that. We'll facilitate the event, and then we get to the end and we'll say, "Hey, did you see value in working this way? How did it feel to work this way? Do you think we could bring elements of that into our everyday work life?" 
right? Because, mm. and you hear this a lot when, when a company first has a hackathon, mm. they'll say, oh my goodness, I've wanted that for six months and now I got it in two days, mm. right? right? Because, and so by letting your developers free instead of trying and planning everything out and you never get it done, look what can happen. And so we say, hey, why don't we run an experiment Who's interested of the people that are here? Is anyone interested in running an experiment of doing this idea of a continuous hackathon? Because what you did is something called fast agile. And there's a little more structure to it, which we can talk about. But essentially, that we can do this continuous hackathon. And so introduce the hackathon, then, then do the reveal. Ta-da! What we did was fast <laughs> agile. And if you liked it, then what do you, what do you think about running an experiment with fast agile? That's I- my idea. I, I think it's great. I mean, it kind of resonates on a couple levels. One is just that embodied experience that you really have to be experience it and feel it and know how you responded to it. That was a cool day or whatever. I yeah. could feel this way every day, seriously. Yes. So yeah. I'm like, I want that feeling. And I know that I've seen my coworkers, my mm-hmm. colleagues in a totally different light. And I myself have showed up differently. I mean, it's super, I think that is super exciting. That's a really good point that they, they need to have some tangible experience to link to because reading fast agile, it's unintuitive. And this is why, yeah. this is why it's going to be a hard sell because it's unintuitive. Right. You're like, this makes no sense. How, can, how could this possibly work? Right. But that's also true of open space. And I'm going to use you as an example. <laughs> I invite Catherine to do an open space and you're like, well, should we contact these people and <laughs> What you know, you're coming up with a plan. What should we talk about? And and I'm, I'm I kept saying, hey, don't don't plan it because if you try and plan it, it's not going to. But it took you, but but and I understand that because it's so unintuitive. It takes experiencing it, and then after you've experienced it, then you understood what fast agile was about. But it took you going to an open space to go, yeah. oh my gosh, that's what Ron's doing, right? Because you'd heard me talk about it, and you saw some cool things. You know, we talked about self-organization and self-management, but until you'd been to an open space and saw how how people can self-organize around work, how trust is implicit, and all of this stuff, um, you're like, this is really powerful. And then, right. and I think I think um, yeah it takes it takes experiencing something to to kind of mm-hmm. get to that to make a mental click and get to the next level, which was true of Agile too. Twenty years ago, Agile came out, Scrum and Extreme Programming. No one wanted to know it. Again, that's dumb. That couldn't possibly work. And remember, I said that was my reaction. Right. I when my team that. took it on, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard of. That can't right. work. That's stupid. Why do I don't want to pair program? Right. That's going to slow me down. I don't want to write right. tests. I don't. I don't write bugs. Why should I write tests? Right. I don't want to sit over there with that, that pairing station. I want to sit at my desk with my headphones on and listen to my music all day. Right. So all of these things, which were unintuitive, which would, which I thought would make my day worse, of course I don't want to try it. It's right. unintuitive, but it takes having to, you know, take that leap of faith somewhat and mm. and experimenting experiment you know I, I was just thinking too that there's a number of companies who have this 10 percent time where mm. they take you know they give you 10 percent of your work week to do whatever you want to yeah. take an outside class to do an experiment to be part of another team so who are companies like that w l gore i think um, yeah google started that google. i don't know if they keep 
they kept doing it. So Gmail came out of out of that yeah. 10% time. I know Anderson Consulting did it decades mm-hmm. ago. Um, so it's just kind of curious to me, companies that are doing that, they could use that 10% time mm-hmm. for this fast agile. They could. they could say, hey, um, I could say, hey, with my 10% time next week, I want to run this, this little process called, don't, don't mention fast agile. No. I, I want to run this like, this little experiment of uh, self-organization and um, I'm going to be over here. Anyone that's interested, come along. So create a, in, you know, an, an invitation. Right. right. Um, and when, when we were doing fast, uh, actually one, one morning a week was uh, for research time and we used open space to facilitate that because mm. we're so used to open space. So you'd show up on, on that morning and anyone could work on anything, but all, all you had to do was say, hey, this is the thing I'm interested in researching on, and we put it on the wall. And then if anyone was interested in working with you, they were free to do that. Or if they didn't, then you would go and do it on your own. Cool. But we used open space, and then at the end of the, the, the half day, we'd get back together and we'd go, here's what I discovered, here's what I found, mm. and we'd share it back out. I so we, we got so used to open space became a natural tool for us then mm. um, going forward. Well, I love how you develop a real a team culture then of that openness and yeah. the learning. It just is natural in a in an organization, in a team with this yeah. group of people. And what a cool way too is you bring somebody new on board to participate in something like that. Again, because it's modeled and they mm-hmm. can see this is this is how we do it here. This is great. You know, I can say this or whatever. It's really becomes very natural super super interesting and natural is a really good word Catherine because this way of working is natural yeah it is innate to us from childhood mm. you go to a, a school a kindergarten and you watch those kids play what are you seeing you're seeing emergence natural organization natural leadership all of that is in place we were right. born with that right um, D Hawk says we were all born leaders and then we went to school right so Somewhere in our lives, this this was trained out of us. But um, you know, all we're doing is going back to natural ways of working and of being, and and it's beautiful. Like when this whole self organizing, self management system, there's a, such a natural beauty to it. And I like to quote, um, oh, I don't remember names. Um, it'll come back to me. So she says, um, you know, let go of control and gain order. Mm. And that's what you're doing. Whereas the, the business world, we, we, we've, we've come out of the era of industrial, uh, industrial era and of mass production, which was really successful, right? Fordism and, and um, uh, Taylorism. It worked for what it worked for, but now we're not in those environments, particularly in the knowledge world, right? And you know, most of the, you know, a lot of the manufacturing is going away, and even the way we manufacture is now, you know, changed too. But it worked for what it worked for at the time. It was, it was, it did, but it doesn't serve us anymore. Mm-hmm. And so this like strong command and control, it doesn't work anymore, and it, it's in fact an antithesis. And what does work is this natural way of being. And I think that the, there's another rabbit hole to go down. I think the pandemic is, in fact, 
opened up a lot of these concepts and and a lot of people have now had a taste of what freedom is like mm. so they were they were told they were commanded to go work from home right right now they're working from home and they're going wow i don't need this you know now this constant supervision and micromanagement's gone this feels really good and i can do my laundry at the same time i've got some kids what else so they've got a new sense of freedom um and now they're getting commanded to come back to this heavy command and control environment they're like no we don't want to yeah it's super Because interesting they're losing something yeah right right yeah yeah i think that a lot of aspects of being at remote work people they're burned out from so many meetings they haven't gone to that next step of really yeah. understanding the projects and who really needs to be involved and yeah. you know i think of meetings when there's just too many people in the zoom mm -hmm. do you need to be there it is this whole notion and i again i come back to morning star about the commitments i'm committing to you to do x mm -hmm. i don't need to commit to 20 people or even mm -hmm. sometimes five people for it i just need to commit to one person mm -hmm. and it and then all of that meeting dissipates so yeah. rapidly yeah because i can commit to that and we can figure out what we need mm -hmm. in a fraction of the time our our our, our rules was that uh, the law of two feet applied at all times but if i if i'm at a meeting and and i feel i don't need to be there or i'm not adding value if any if anything i'm free to i'm free to leave without any apologies i just say i'm checking out and that's it and no one's allowed to question you you're free to check out now But so there's a, can you see the trust in that? Mm, tremendous trust. Right? So yeah. we've made an agreement beforehand to say, mm. hey, if, if, I'm, if I check out, there's a good reason for it. Right. And you need to trust me. So I'm going to check out. And, and so, yeah, if, sure, invite 20 people because you think they need to be there. And if they, if they don't show up, then they didn't need to be there. Or if, you know, three showed up. So an open space, the right people right. have the right conversations at the right time. Like right. That's the three people who showed up. That's who's in the meeting. Right. 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 Yeah. right. I am so excited about what you are doing with FAST. We had the pleasure of talking with Richard Sheridan of Menlo Innovation and with what he is doing with pair programming and how he onboards and interviews developers to come into Menlo Innovations. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on how this compares and contrasts with Menlo Innovations. Yeah, great question. And I, I, I was so excited to, I remember reading the book, um, Joy, Joy Inc. Yes. Yeah, so I read the book and and I actually got to I get to go and and um do the tour because I was I was living I spent a year living in in Detroit. So he's in Ann Arbor, which is not that far away. And um a group of us went and did the tour. So cool. I, I was super excited and I had high expectations. So my background is extreme programming, so is Richard. So like pair programming that that comes from extreme programming. So I was really curious to see, you know, hey, how how does how does he implemented extreme programming and all these uh, other other things that are in the book. So 
Yeah, there is a there is a big similarity between what we do, and I would love for Richard to see fast because I think it takes a lot of his concepts to the next level. Cool. Um, and I, I I keep trying to get in touch with Richard and or someone to say, hey, Richard, you want to look at this? Because um, what I all right. I don't want to be too critical, but what I don't see in, in that Richard doing is that there was some experimentation, obviously, for him to come up with this system that he's got. But what I don't know of, and I didn't see, and I didn't hear anything in his book of how how do you continue your experimentation, mm. right? Because you know we said because experimentation should never stop, and and so same with with fast. I don't think you should do fast by the book. I think you should always start with a book. And then go. Where do we go from here? Right. Um, and and so, and I think there's a lot more that Richard could do, because he, you know, he did great things, and he's got to where he is. It, people there have a lot of freedom. Like you can bring your baby, you can bring your dog, and so you can see a lot of the things that people love about working from home. Now, he already had that. He understood that 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 was in a need. Right. Um, you know the the onboarding process or the the interview. He's already looking for people that are, know how to be a coach, right? How good yes. can you make the person next to you? So this ability to be a coach and be coachable, and to be T-shaped. So um, a lot of good things there. And, and, and I think FAST takes that to the next level. And here's an example. So in FAST, I, I choose who I work on and who I work with. And if you read the book Drive by Daniel Pink, you know, one of the things he talks about is is uh, autonomy. And autonomy is made up of four things. Your time, the technique, your team, and time, technique, team. Um, yeah, time, team, task, team, technique. Task and technique, right? Now, Richard Sheridan, of those, um, he doesn't have any. Mm. So there's no autonomy because you come in as a as a software developer, uh, the the only autonomy you have is is where you can roll your desk to. That's uh. it, right? So I think there's a lot more that he can do around you know giving people more autonomy, because they come in and and they get so Richard spends uh, before an iteration, so they they're still iterative. Richard or, or some manager will say, all right, I'm going to pair. These are the tasks that we're going to do this week. So they're determining the work. Uh, and these, right. are the, these are the people that are going to work on it. They determine who the pairs are. And mm. so you show up on Monday and you're told who your pair is and what you're working on. Mm. So they don't get to pick that. Whereas in Fast, I show up and I, I say, I'm, I'm interested in working on that and, and, and so forth. Now, you can see why you know, Richard w- will have done that because intuitively that makes sense. But for him to go to the next level, it's unintuitive. But I, I want to say to him, like, run an experiment. Hey, yes. what would happen? Just take a small subgroup if you're, you know, if you're worried. Right. Because he, you know, he still needs to make money. But run an experiment. Say, hey, what would happen if we let people self-choose who they paired with, right. what they worked on, you know? Right. Um, so, one yeah, of the it's, things, yeah, one of the things that I'm thinking of is, um, of course, um, they, he has a consulting firm, right? So he mm-hmm. is doing work for a, an external client. Yeah. Is just making sure that the project or the or the pieces that you're working on are working towards that main goal. So kind of still right. keeping that purpose in mind. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and you also need a you need to balance those out because if there's something, some tweaky front end thing that needs to be done, and everybody's like, oh no, mm -hmm. don't want that. I mean, you still need somebody to work on that. So how does fast handle those issues of making you know the scope of what the work is and yeah. making sure there's somebody mm -hmm. doing it all? Um, well, th there's two answers because. So first, let's talk about the scope, and then we'll talk about someone doing it all. So the scope, in Fast, we have this idea of a, a product manager. We it was called product director. I'm, I'm waffling between, but essentially, it's a it's a it's a product manager. So think of Marty Kagan, right? It's right. someone with that kind of skill set. So someone with that skill set is putting scope on a wall, and we call that the opportunity wall, the opportunity map. And we go, that's what's important, folks. This is these are the things that we need um, right now. I need those things, and of that, this thing's more important than that. And so the the product manager is looking at it from that level, and so that's how we decide what what needs to happen. So now the tribe, they know they they need to know what's happened. So we're using the collective wisdom of the tribe to decide how to do that and in what sequence, mm. because trying to do that, trying to manage your way through it is using complicated thinking against a complex problem. Whereas I'm saying there's a complex problem because what are the dependencies? How do we get A done? Before, where, where do they hide? And you can spend a lot of time working that out. And this is what traditional agile now looks like. They call it orchestration. And I'm saying, forget that. Let's use um, choreography rules instead and let emergence rule and determine what needs to happen when. Mm -hmm. So... It's somewhat metaphysical when you think of like an open space event, the right conversations will happen at the right time with the right people. Same idea, the right work will happen at the right time with the right people. So we're, we're relying on something pretty um, unusual, but it, it comes straight from chaos theory. Mm. And so natural order will, will, will ensue from chaos. So we purposefully create an element of chaos. There's the word go. As soon as mm. I say go, I've created chaos. Yes. Now, out of chaos comes order. And there's this yeah. interesting relationship between order and chaos. And the order that comes out is a natural order. And it's an order that you couldn't plan for or and you shouldn't plan for. So instead of me trying to create the order, I'm going to let the collective wisdom of the tribe create the order. So that's how we determine what happens. The product manager can still say, hey, I said this thing here was the most important thing. No one's working on it. Whoa, 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 before you go off, let's go back. Who's going to work on this one, right? Mm. So they can't. there is an element of, of veto and of command and control. But like a good leader, you only use authority as your last stop. So the product manager has authority of the work, but you use it as, as very little and use it as the last stop. So that's mm. how, how, you know, if you're worried, because everyone's like, how do we know the work's going to get done? Yeah. Right. And I always say, well, how do you know your toilet's going to get cleaned? How do you know it's right? not going to get done? Mm. And then the other aspect was uh, who, what was it? Who, how the work gets done and then who does it? Um, and yeah, and again, we rely on on the collective wisdom of the tribe to go, right. well, I'm going to work on this because I think that's important. Right. And, and it will kind of work itself out. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm coming back to your analogy of the hackathon mm. and um, and doing a game, like having thinking of it as not I'm not I'm not doing work, but 
but it's just like a little game is a hackathon is to kind to just work in and get something done in whatever amount of time is at a hackathon because I, mm. I'm so motivated to do it. There's a lot of intrinsic motivation there. Right. Super intrinsic fun. Yes, you're tapping in on intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Because when people can do what they want, mm. then they're going to use their energy and enthusiasm and, and skills to, right. to do something. And because they care. Right. So give, give, them, a, give, care. Them, give them something that they care about. Like, hey, here's, and this is, this is where the, the product manager is a leader because you're, you are inspiring people mm. and inspired people will do things for you. Right. People, I will, people will go and give their lives for a flag. Right, and how do you how do you say, hey, Catherine, I want you to go and, and here's here's something I want you to do, and by the way, right. you might die. You'd be like, oh, I'm <laughs> out, right? Um, yeah, no way. You know? <laughs> but you know, if you can give something that people are inspired by, right? You know, and that they feel is important, then they will go. I, I, I don't expect them to die, but you know, they will then put themselves into it because they care, mm. and that's a big part of purpose. You know, right. And, what we learn about at um, Semco, right? Right. How linking in, linking someone's purpose into the work. Right. It's kind of like that. Um, one of the Semco things that's come back to me many times is the aligned self-interest. This, yes. It's my interest matches mm -hmm. what's the interest of the organization. Mm. I think that's really, I think that's really important. I wonder if there's something here too about just that people are so burned out um, and so in the software development world and engineers, mm. they're burnt out because they're just constantly being pushed, pushed, pushed to meet yes. a deadline. Like mm. what the hell is that deadline all about? Right. You know, and they're, um, which is kind of a, a rabbit hole, but I'm, I'm, it would be cool if this could do go some direction to alleviating that feeling of burn the act it's not just it's a burnout is a feeling yes yeah. absolutely but it's but it's real mm -hmm. and um and we need we need these creative smart creative people in the world we don't i don't want them burned out <laughs> look, let's look at where where these deadlines come from there's two places mm. one of them is it's a false deadline which fast does away with very quickly is when in a scaled environment where, you know, this team does this, this team does that, this team does that, and the product requires all of these things to get done. Yeah. Now, if team A goes at this pace, team B goes at this pace, but uh, team B is now held up by team A, So mm. now what do we do? We put pressure on team A. That, that like, that's going to work. You need to go faster because we, we've determined we need all of this done by this date. Right. So now this is where this, like, fake bloody pressure comes from like yeah. these dates like because we make them up mm. so in fast we go well why don't we merge team a and tb now they're, they're now the the excess of you know now a isn't waiting for b because they go hey we're waiting for them why don't we help them out instead right that's essentially what fast agile is right we, go, we merge them together and they become one team and then they work together so right. they're going to essentially go a lot they can get more done better easier right because you're doing away with these these dependencies that happen mm. which force these dates 
So that's one type of date. Then the other one is is whether dates are real or not. So if a custom comes to us and says, hey, you know, we want this thing by this date. First question is to, to the tribe is, um, here's this thing. Let's do a forecast and say, is that date realistic? And and so the tribe then will, you know, we use this thing called fast forecasting, which is based on the wisdom of crowds. Right. Um, so we do a wisdom of crowds forecast and we go, okay, here's the forecast. Yes, that that's a date or not. And then we determine, is it a real date or isn't it, right? How mm. much? Now, if it's a real date and the, and the tribe own it, they will then hit that date because they own it and they care about it. Oh, they yes. will choose to work overtime because they care. Right. Not because right. they're told to and because they have, the, they have their autonomy. They've got the freedom. Yeah. So when you give people freedom and they take ownership and they care, then then they will choose to do overtime because they care. Yeah. But there's, meant- a, and there's a give and take in that because, yes. because hey, uh, this thing, you know, we've got some space now. Um, I live in Seattle. I'll look out the window and I'm like, hey, there's a break in the rain. <laughs> and I say, hey, 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 peeps, I'll tell my team, I'm going to go walk my dogs now. Right. Because it's breaking the rain, right? right. I'm not going to wait till the end of the day because then I can't walk. Them. So there's the give and take. Right. Now, if we're in this high pressure thing, I'll say, oh, shame I can't walk the dogs. And I, right. and I but that's autonomy and that's me caring about my job. Right. And yeah. I love how you mentioned freedom. You've mentioned free- the word freedom a lot. And I think that's a very powerful word and concept that a lot of people don't feel that at work. I mean, so many right. people don't feel that. I think of the, uh, I have cousins who are nurses and they have to show up on a schedule. And our, our friend Elise talks a lot about scheduling, retail mm. scheduling, scheduling, scheduling. Scheduling is real. And there's, you know, there's jobs that you can't get around that. Uh, that, that the fact that, you know, we're going to have to come up with a schedule, like a hospital we need we need nurses there around the clock. So how do we do that? How do we make it fair? Um, what's right? How long should a nurse work? Yeah. Um, you know, how much time off? You know, what sort of breaks? And those kind of questions, this is where it kind of comes back a little to to fast agile. Instead of having someone work that out, why don't you talk to the nurses and say, what do you think would work? Right. Right. And then have them take ownership of the scheduling. They, right. Hey, wait, you know, we're getting it wrong or we're burning you out. So maybe, maybe the, the shifts need to be six hours long and not eight hours long. Uh, but you do, you know, you do them for four days a week and you have a three day weekend. Like, why don't you ask the nurses, say, here's a complex, and this is the, this is where Fast says, if you've got a complex problem, don't try and be smart. Don't think that you're the super chess player. Always give the problem to the team, to the tribe, and saying, here's the problem. Right. I can't solve it. How do we solve it? And you give the problem to the tribe, see what they come up with. And right. so, you know, the tribe might be 60 people, and and it's like an open space event. And someone will go, well, I've got an idea. Someone else has got an idea. And we'll say, all right, well, uh, you know, four people gather around one, four people gather around one. Go, Come back, tell us what your ideas are. And we'll say, all right, let's try that idea for, for two weeks, two months. Mm. And then, and then, uh, and then we'll try the other idea for another two months. Right? How does that sound? Everyone says yes. Good. 
So that it was their idea. They wow. bought into it and they're going to try it and they know that they can change it. Wow. This is empowering little people. Ex- little experiments. Give, give them the problem. Like, hey, I hear you. You're getting burnt out. I hear yeah. you. You're working too long. I don't know the answer. Help me. Right. <laughs> you know, you help me find the answer. I love that. It's a very, see, that's a very different way of so thinking. So simple. Like, yeah. It's so yeah. simple. Like, don't, don't overthink it. Just make it simple. Yeah, love solve that. solve complex problems in a complex way. Mm. Don't as soon as you try. Uh, what's what's the name of that rule of you know if you solve a complex problem in a complicated way, it's called oh you get the uh, uh, unexpected outcomes. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. This has been a great conversation. I just. Love talking with you and, and hearing about your ideas. And let's, let's make this happen. Let's get mm. this out here. Thanks, Catherine. <laughs> All right. That was a fun ending. <laughs> Thank you to Ron Quartel for a fun conversation and sharing his insights and enthusiasm. What inspired you from this conversation? The show notes have links to where to find Ron in the books that he mentioned. Do you have one idea, even a small one, that you could turn into a little experiment? Is there someone you can share this episode with who would benefit from an invitation to experiment? Thank you for listening. I'd appreciate hearing your feedback and any takeaways. Find out more at inspiredteams.work.